Good morning, Springbrook. So great to see you. Thank you for making it a priority to be with us as a family as we worship Him. You guys have a good Memorial Day? Lots of food, lots of sun. Hasn't the weather been incredible? Something sad happened last Memorial Day, or this past Memorial Day. I don't know if you heard about it, but uh, there was a teenager in Skokie who was going through a Walmart, and she basically was buying weapons. She had about a five-inch knife and a machete, and uh, uh, the security guards, of course, were concerned, but thought it'd be too dangerous to confront her, so they called the police. But she went outside, and uh, she made contact with the Uber driver who came over. His name was Grant Nelson, just a guy, 34 years old, making some extra money on Memorial Day. And so she got in, told her address of Lincolnwood. They got over there, and then she savagely stabbed and slashed him many times. And so you can see Grant somehow getting out of the car. And then she took the car and tried to hide, but they got her. And he went up to a house to try to get some attention. And, I mean, we're not talking gang-ridden Chicago neighborhoods here. All right? We're talking about Wilmette, Skokie, that particular area. And it just doesn't make any sense. It's lawlessness. It's lawlessness. There's a picture of them both, and you certainly can pray for their families. But it reminds me of what it was like during the time of Ruth, we're starting a new four-week series on Ruth. And to understand Ruth, you have to kind of understand the flow of the Old Testament. Uh, in Genesis, uh, you have our and Eve all the way through Joseph, and then they were 400 years in captivity. And then Moses led them out to the Promised Land. And then Joshua took them into the promised land. And after he died, that's when the times of the judges started. And it went for 400 years until King Saul, the first king of Israel, was made king. And it was just a terrible time. In fact, here's kind of the cycles that they went through. First of all, the people would do evil by serving other gods. So they, again, we'll do what we want to do. Then there was disaster. God sends a nation to oppress them. So God is now entering into their disobedience and is going to discipline and save them. Then finally, they figure out, you know, They've got to go back to God, so they repent. So God raises up a deliverer, probably the most well-known judge was Samson. Remember? A mighty man with long hair and 
Women always get men in trouble. <laughs> it's the opposite, really. But, uh, you know, he shared what her strength came from. He'd taken a Nazarite bow, and so she cut his hair off, and he lost all his power. That he was a deliverer. In fact, in the end, he was blind, but God gave him strength enough to take down the banquet hall that all the evil leaders uh, were in. But it goes around and around and around. And it was during this period that Ruth lived. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab and his wife and his two sons. Now, there were a lot of famines back in that day, naturally, and sometimes God brought a famine to bring judgment upon the Israelites. So we're not sure which type of famine it is, but it talks about this man from Bethlehem. The name of the man was Elamech, that means my God is king, and the name of his wife, Naomi, which means pleasant. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, and they meant sickly and pinely. <laughs> great, great way to name your kids. It's kind of like saying near death and death. Come here, death. <laughs> really strange. All right. They were Paphrodites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab. And remain there. Now, right away, we have a problem. Now, there is a famine. And I really believe Elimelech made the decision that we got to go over to Moab. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but the next verse will give us a hint, I guess. And, and so they all decided, we're going over to Moab. Well, <laughs> it's not like a vacation, uh, vacation hangout. Moab was a very evil country that had descended from Lot. And they were enemies with the people of Israel. They had many times attacked them as they were going through uh, the wilderness. Uh, they sacrificed humans to their gods. And when Joshua was going into the promised land, God said, slay everybody. Because there were so much sin, it was saturated everything. And he knew if any of the Israelites intermarried, well, they were going to be sucked down too. So this was a mistake going to Moab. When we talk about Israel, and the Bible talks about the blessings of God coming out of Israel, not Moab. But Elamnach, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. So her husband dies. And that's why I think he was the one who led the way. But uh, many of you have lost your spouses or children. And uh, it's an incredible pain you walk through. And hopefully God continues to restore you from year to year. But it's never quite the same. So what I want you to understand what Naomi is going through here. 
how she's feeling. So she loses her husband and she has her two sons. These took Moabite wives, the name of the one with Oprah, no, I mean Orpah, <laughs> the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. So this is more than just, you know, look over there for a year. They got stuck and entrenched in the culture. And again, God said, don't marry non-Israelite women. And there they go, marrying the Moabites and their gods. It's so important with your children. We are here to help you, to disciple your children. And it's a hard job because you've got so many things going on. You're busy and sometimes you don't have a chance to discipline. <laughs> we'll wait tomorrow when I have more energy. Uh, you know, we're just so fast and moving around. And, but friends, the most important legacy you'll leave are your children. And I uh, especially speak to younger families at this point. And I say, take it as a very serious responsibility in terms of teaching your children when you walk and when you eat and teachable moments and sitting down and sharing Bible stories with them. And really what you're doing is you're discipling your children, right? You're the main discipler. So when it comes to that time of dating and things like that, they know already that they're not going to date a non-Christian. They're not going to marry a non-Christian. And if you kind of push back from that and say, well, what's the big deal? Well, it is a really big deal because that's the courtship process. And I cannot tell you how many women I have talked to over the years just in counseling or out in the atrium, uh, and they got married quickly, and they were kind of drifting from God, and it's just been really hard ever since. So we need to warn our children about that, the same thing as God said. Israelites only marry other God-fearers. It's hard today. My boys would always be complaining, and there's no beautiful Christian ladies out there. <laughs> I said, yes, there are. Keep looking. And Brian, he found his wife on eHarmony. That really is a great tool when you think about it. <laughs> and both Malon and Chilean died. What is the deal here? She loses her husband, and then she loses her two sons. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. You've got to remember, this is somewhere in the period of ten years, so uh, pretty close together. You think that would have just devastated her at that point, which it probably did, as we'll see later. I mean, to think about that much loss in life, and some of you experience that extent of loss in your family. And uh, maybe you're grieving right now for someone who has died or maybe a parent who's some type of dementia or whatever and they're going to die. And yeah, God made us wired for relationships. And when we're cut off from those relationships, 
the depth in which we had them, that's how much it hurts. So Naomi is really struggling here. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she hears through the grapevine, hey, there's food over in Israel. So she decided that it was a good time to go home. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now, back in that day, when you said goodbye to a person, you just didn't stand at the door, you know, and give them a hug, and they go off on their own. No, you would actually walk them outside the city on their way, and that's where the goodbye uh, would take place. That's where they would part. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now the main motivation that Naomi has that these women get married is because in those ancient days, if you weren't married... That was a really big problem because you could not provide for yourself. You you fell into poverty. And she didn't want that for her girls. And and she was even willing against to go go against God's desire and say, hey, go back and find some Moabite men, even though they didn't fear God, right? As we go on here, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of God of her husband, then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Of course they did after those relationships where they'd done life for a long time together and now they were parting. And the girl said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. The Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they hate, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? I mean, she really is on a tirade here. Will you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. What's firing inside here? What's firing inside? Well, all of the loss that she's felt. And she didn't want her daughters-in-law, not to find other men to marry because, again, they would kind of follow her way if they went with her. So you go back to Moab and find someone. So we're talking life and death here. We're talking about getting a paycheck or not being able to work. This is very important. And so I think that's what kind of drives Naomi this way. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So what did Orpah do? 
She went back. I've got to assume that she was a God-fearer after living so long uh, with Naomi and Ruth. But again, she saw it as an easy out, one might say. She says, yeah, well, obviously, when uh, your mother-in-law is telling you, you have to go back, uh, we can easily fall and, okay, well, I'll do that. Even though it really wasn't the right thing to do. And it said a lot about Orpah's heart where she truly was. She might have claimed to be a God-fearer, but not as much as a desire to go back and be taken care of, whatever gods. But Ruth was totally different. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi's still saying why are you still here? Don't you know that a black cloud follows me wherever I go? Don't you want to get rid of my luck? Don't you want better things to happen in your life? Because I'm sure things are just going to get worse. But Ruth said, now this is a classic passage in Scripture of devotion to another person. You might see it on on decorations and uh, things around the house in terms of pictures. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. So you know what she was doing. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death departs me from you. And that's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. And you see, the reason why she was trying to get them to marry other men, because, again, she was old. She wasn't going to have any more children back in that day. Uh, let's say if your, your brother died, well, you would marry uh, one of your other brothers, or, excuse me, one of the other uh, people in terms of in your family. So if your, let's say your husband died, then you would have to marry another uh, son in the family, your brother. That's kind of crazy, huh? Think about that one. (laughs) Think about your sisters-in-law and brothers-in-law. You know, all of a sudden, hey, it's a party. We got all three people going here. That was a unique culture back then. But let's take a look at this and look at it from a disciple's view, okay? So think of this as you speaking to Jesus Christ. Jesus, for where you go, I will go. Where are you at on that one, huh? Jesus tells you to move somewhere, change jobs. Are you willing to do that? 
again, we're all at different points in our spiritual journey. And obviously, as you're a newer Christian, you might not do that. But as you mature, you'll grow to full maturity and you'll say, whatever God wants me to do, I'll do. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. That's because your heart had changed already. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. You reflect on that and say, would I be able to say that right now in my, my spiritual life? And what she's saying at the end there, if I don't follow you to the grave, if I don't keep my promises, may the Lord do even worse things in my life than has happened in your life. That is lordship, friends, if we apply it to walking with God. I mean, you are sold out and... Many times in a Christian's life, they become a Christ follower, but maybe at a later time, they start to understand all the implications of what it means to be a Christ follower. It's a totally different life. And they make that lordship decision. It doesn't have to be a decision per se, but sometimes it is. And say, okay, God, you have got all of me. I am trusting in you. Whatever you allow in my life, I will accept because I am only living for you and not myself. And the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. In fact, it's interesting that Bethlehem means house of bread. <laughs> so they didn't have much bread before, but now I have some bread. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Now, we're not sure why they said that, but again, she had grown up in this village. Everybody knew Naomi and everybody knew everybody else. And she's come back after ten years. You think she's just, or you think they're just referring to her age? I don't think so. I think that all these trials had had changed. I think even the countenance of her face. She was called pleasant before, but she didn't feel pleasant now. And so when they looked into her eyes, it was there was just kind of an emptiness. And they're saying, Is this the same person? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, pleasant, call me Mara, which means bitterness, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. It's interesting, isn't it? You're saying, hey, God has my number, and he is really making it tough for me. And I'm mad about it. I went full. 
I went away full to Moab, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? The story gets better after this, but (laughs) it's kind of like a nightmare up to this point. But friends, what we see here with Naomi is the theology of suffering. Theology of suffering. She didn't say, oh yeah, I lost my husband and my two sons, but I know things are going to get better because Jesus loves me. So that's a problem. We're sold a bill of goods here in America having uh, the American dream, whatever that means, right? Of course, everybody's disappointed at the end. There is no dream. And then, when we become Christ followers, we think it's guaranteed. I'm going to have the American dream because Jesus is going to help me. And there's a lot of preachers, especially on TV, who teach that way, and that is heresy. Just because you become a Christ follower does not mean your life is going to get better. Then why should I become a Christ follower? Well, obviously because you need to be saved from from the real deal, which is eternity. Uh, You want to be saved from from going to hell and and spending time with Christ. And then, of course, embracing him as you walk throughout this life. And Jesus never promised people a great life, right? What do you say? You're going to have what? Trials. It's going to be rough. But hey, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. Uh, John Jackson and his wife Laura used to be our worship leader here. But now they're in Michigan, and she, she has struggled with migraine headaches for a long, long time. And uh, Just in the last two weeks, it's been so bad that she's been taking these particular shots. And she has suffered so much. And I'm sure she's been angry. I'm sure, you know, she feel that, feels that God has left her or whatever. But because of her belief in God and that God is good, even in terrible pain, she can still say God is sovereign. God has allowed this into my life. And it doesn't make sense. But who am I to tell God something doesn't make sense? And, yeah. Seems like we've had so many people just in the last six months, uh, you know, several had cancer and and other challenges, physical challenges, mental challenges, more than I've seen in a while. You see, friends, you have to establish a theology of suffering right now before you go into it. Because, yeah. Things might be great in your life, and that's wonderful. You thank God for that. You enjoy it, right? But someday, something painful will happen in your life. 
And that's not when you say, oh, where'd Jesus go? Jesus is still there. And he loves you as much as he did before. But he's got a sovereign plan. So it's so important when you're suffering is to be able to speak about it. To go to God and say, God, I'm so angry at you. Why? Why? Why would you do this to me? You're, you're not doing it to these other people, and I'm a much better Christian than they are. And, you know, why? Why is that happening? And it keeps happening. When are you going to pull up, you know, give me a little room? Well, some people suffer chronic illness, chronic pain for their entire lives. But if they're a Christ follower, They have a theology of suffering. And that theology is that God is in control. Nothing happens without Him. And that theology says that I'm going to heaven as I've accepted the free gift of salvation. And that theology says you're going to have problems in life. But you know the most interesting thing is? Is that comforts a person in suffering. I mean, if you're out there and you don't have a biblical worldview, I mean, you're just so confused and, you know, depressed and ready to give it up, those type of things. But we have a theology of suffering. That God is in charge. He allows things to happen. But here's the best thing. Is that if you suffer, God will give you new mercy, new grace every day. Which means it will be tolerable to whatever point. My suffering, I've always found that. You know, God does things just out of the blue. You know, it's just like, wow. And He delivered, and of course it says, Lamentations, that He has new mercies for you every morning. So yeah, it's hard. You need to communicate with God about that. And talk to others about your frustrations. But then say, this is my theology of suffering. And it's really hard, but it's better than having none at all. Because I know there's a purpose that's greater than me involved here. My heart breaks uh, for people in our congregation who suffer. So hard. Remember, God is in control. And He'll continue to give you new strength new motivation, new grace every day in spite of your suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this really is a hard topic because we all struggle with it. We don't want pain in our lives. and When pain comes, we're puzzled by what you're doing. 
And I have such a great respect for Naomi, even though she lost her husband. Even though she lost her two kids. She had the right theology of suffering. God's in control. It's really rough in my life. She didn't give up belief in you. She just said, you're in control. And uh, my life hasn't been the best. But I'm living for eternity. In Christ's name, amen.